Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and we have a super special interview for you guys today. I'm really, really excited about this one. We have been in contact with Charmaine Chan for a long time, and we are so excited to have her on Sky Talkers because, number one, she's so cool. Number two, she's the lead compositor at Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, and she's worked on The Mandalorian. She's working on a a secret project right now. She's worked on Jurassic World. She's worked on Star Tours. She's done so much, and she's worked on The Last Jedi. I can't believe I forgot that. Hello. (laughs) And I... Her, talking to her was really interesting because we've never had uh, like a technician, someone who works on the technical side of Star Wars on the show before. I feel like I came out of this conversation really surprised because in my head, talking to someone about ILM and the technical side of working on The Mandalorian, the volume and things like that would be difficult to put into words. I think we've talked about this on the show before about how difficult it is to describe the volume. You just have to see it and everything like that, right? But I feel like when we I left this conversation, I had such a deeper respect of how creative this field is and how it really is like an art form. It is an art form. It's not like an art form. And I just have such tremendous respect for Charmaine. And I hope that you all enjoy this interview because I think Caitlin and I certainly did. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better. It was a fantastic interview, and Charmaine was so lovely, too. I mean, she was all the way in London at the time, and mm-hmm. so the working with the time change and everything, she was just so lovely throughout all of it and such a pleasure to talk to. And yeah, like Charlotte said, I think just coming away with a better understanding of just how artistic and creative something like what Charmaine does in post-production was – it was just really cool to learn about. And yeah, mm-hmm. we we haven't talked to someone in her specific industry before on the show. And so I feel like I learned a lot and she was really fun to talk to. And you'll get to hear about how she kind of started doing coding and stuff like that, which I think is Don't a really spoil fun it. story. I'm not going to spoil yeah. it, <laughs> which I think is a really fun story. And yeah, she was just super cool to talk to and the way that she explained what she does. And it's really clear that she has a lot of passion for what she does. And yeah, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this interview. We had a really great time doing it and I hope you guys enjoy it too. And without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first. I talk first. We are so excited to welcome Charmaine Chan to Sky Talkers today. Welcome, Charmaine. We are so pumped to have you here and to talk with you about your work at Lucasfilm, at ILM, on all these amazing properties. So welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here today. I wanted to start with kind of sort of in the beginning. (laughs) How did you get started in visual effects and how did you get started at ILM? Yeah, I mean, it's such a, I wish I had a very, like, direct path and answer for you, but I feel like my, how I got into visual effects was such a weird route, and, like, I like tying it all back to my original love and fangirlness for the Spice Girls, because at the age of 12, I used to run a Spice Girls website where I did, like, the graphics, the HTML, JavaScript, all that kind of stuff. I felt like that kind of introduced me into the world of, like, technology and media combined into one. Um, So, yeah, I was, like, 
fan editing music videos and like putting up on websites and stuff like that um which was really fun but i feel like i was just like really embracing this world of um you know the multimedia world overall and i'm definitely more a visual person um than anything but at the same time i'm, I'm a huge nerd and i love new gadgets i love dealing with technology any new technology that's coming out but also like I was like I excelled in math and sciences and so picking things up like computer science with like programming and scripting wasn't um you know a huge barrier for me I absolutely loved it it was something that I completely embraced um and so when I was thinking of what I was going to major in for university um I decided to be an art major which is not exactly what my parents was hoping for. They thought I was going to go down the computer science route. But to me, I was just like, I love visuals. I want to like work on things that have a visual impact, you know, whether that be visual storytelling through games or, you know, uh, animation on websites, you know, what, whatever that path may have been, that's what I wanted to focus in. And so I did a studio art major at the University of California in Irvine. And that basically... Um, kind of launched me into the world of LA because Irvine is down in Orange County and I had a couple of classmates who also worked in LA and Hollywood overall they were just like hey you should like consider possibly going into more like film and tv stuff with the skill sets that you had and yeah and so I started to look beyond the web and start to deal more of like video production we had this really cool video studio um, at UC Irvine that had a full green screen set up and whatnot. So I started to just dabble and play around. And I really enjoyed it. Um, and basically by the time I graduated, I was like, I'm going to blanket apply to every like visual effects company I can think of, editing company I can think of, just whatever gets my foot into the door. And um, luckily for me, you know, it took about six months, but ILM got back to me for, uh, I think it was a, Back then, it was called a digital resource assistant position, um, and I've been there ever since, since 2007. That's awesome. I love that you got your start basically creating a Spice Girls fan site. I love the Spice Girls, and yes. that is such an awesome origin story. Uh, I think that there are so many people, at least like around our age or my age, um, that really did get started in coding and like in like online fan communities. And yes. I think that's so fun. Yeah, I love that. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, the great thing about the web, right, is that it's so collaborative, right? There's so many different people around the world who have similar interests as you. And you're able to be like, hey, how'd you do that one thing? And then they'll tell you how to do it. Then you do it. But you do it in a different way. And then it kind of you're just riffing off of each other's ideas, right? And Absolutely. I love that spirit of just like general creative um, art making. Um, and, really? you know whether that be in the audio world or in the visual world, it, it, it's also, um, it's also doable these days, which is great. Totally. Yeah. And the internet is just so vast too, that there's really something for everyone as far as what you're interested in, or like Charlotte said, like fandom communities and things that you're passionate about and just enjoy spending your time on. Yeah. I remember when we were listening to some of your other interviews that you've done, when you've mentioned the Spice Girls website, and I was like, that is just so cool. I love that so much. <laughs> I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep saying that just because like, you know, I, I'm totally proud of it. I'm just like, I don't think I would have had any idea about, you know, creating media if it literally wasn't for the Spice Girls. And it's just yeah. like, 
you know, and they've always, you know, their message is always about girl power and I'm all for girl power and just like helping, you know, a sister out, you know, and just, I love the message behind them. And I feel like that's something we should keep on passing on from, you know, generation to generation. Um, But yeah, it's just, you know, having a community that is also, again, collaborative and want to, you know, have fun. You know, you want to do things that make people happy. Absolutely. I want to ask you, since you mentioned girl power, let's talk about your amazing project on YouTube called Women in VFX. I really enjoyed watching these videos and getting all these different perspectives. And could you talk a little bit about the impetus behind creating that project and where it came from? Yeah, absolutely. So I feel like the visual industry suffers the same problems that like the Hollywood industry, the tech industry, a lot of industry face, which is, um, you know, there's a lack of diversity. There's a lack of, um, you know, marginalized groups within these industries. It's very much been, you know, sadly enough, a boys club, um, Mm -hmm. if you, if you may. Um, and, I felt like I never really had that much of an issue throughout, like, growing up at university, um, especially because, like, I grew up in Hawaii, I went to university in California, these are all, like, very diverse melting pot locations, Um, Mm. but somehow the moment I stepped into the visual effects industry, I was just, like, taken aback a little, because I felt like I was generally either the only woman in the room, or the only person of color in the room, or the only queer person in the room. Um, which is always never a good feeling, right? You want to work in a place that you feel comfortable and reflected in. And so I started this project, Women Visual Effects, mainly because the more I worked in the industry, the more I realized that, you know, these marginalized groups, these people, they exist. They are just never given the limelight to tell their experience or story or, you know, all the incredible things that they've created. So I wanted to give a platform and a space to the women in our industry to be able to talk about honestly, like how it was for them to rise up the ranks in the industry. Um, and, you know, I tried to hit across every discipline and every um, level in our industry from like effects supervisors to people who are editors to, you know, technical assistants. Um, I wanted to get as many perspectives as possible because, you know, everyone has a very different story and we need to hear these stories. Um, and I was just very adamant about making sure that women are heard. Um, and that again, they're, they're making incredible work out there and they should be thrown into the limelight just like any of our other colleagues. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, I think the project is so amazing and, and, and also so encouraging because I know that sometimes when you're in these situations where you don't feel like there is enough diversity or inclusion, it's like, okay, what do I do about it? Like how, like if I'm just the low man on the totem pole or, you know, nowhere near upper management or seniority, it's like, what do you do? Um, How can you do something about this? And so I think to, to see something like your project really take off and, and have such an impact, I think is just is so great and honestly inspiring and encouraging to see um, people in companies that you admire and enjoy their work from, like actively doing something about this. It's just, it's so important. So thank you for the work that you did on it. Absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, at the end of the day, you know, a lot of times people are like, why would you stay at a company that, you know, doesn't give you the diversity or inclusion that you're expecting? And, and to me, I'm like, 
you know, is, is there ever going to be a place that really does that? You know, like, I feel like overall, everywhere has a little bit of those issues here and there. And it's up to people to actually, you know, step up to their companies, to question their company and to actually, you know, try and make those changes because those changes aren't going to come overnight, right? They're not going to come instantaneously. It requires people to actually um, help along in that process. And to me, I'm all about keeping that conversation alive, holding people accountable to their actions and making sure that these changes do happen. Um, Because it's, it's one thing to be all talk. It's another thing to actually see it in action. And for me, I, I expect to work in a place that, you know, again, reflect society. Um, and I know those changes take time. And I know that if, you know, we keep on picking at it, we'll eventually get to that point. But um, yeah, it's definitely going to be um, a long journey. But I'm glad to, you know, have the support of the company, but also, you know, have people who are very much wanting to be a part of this, you know, movement and be a part of the change that needs to happen. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, to pivot a little bit, we wanted to talk about some of your work on The Last Jedi, which um, our listeners know is our absolute all-time favorite Star Wars movie. We love it so much. Um, and we wanted to talk a little bit, what was the difference between your work on The Last Jedi, which was a lot of green screen as compared to The Mandalorian, where you're using you know, the volume, of course? It's been, you know, it's been an evolution of visual effects is how I can, like, describe it very simply. I mean, the, the great thing about visual effects is that you're constantly pushing, you know, the boundaries of what technology, what type of art skills, what type of aesthetic, you know. And what I love about the Star Wars universe is that you get to incorporate that all into one. Um, so The Last Jedi, while it was done in a more... I guess, traditional sense of post-production and visual effects, which is, you know, you shoot actors in front of a green screen and then you put them somewhere up in space, right? Like, that's that's mm-hmm. probably the most common scenario. And, you know, that process is still just as exciting and exhilarating for me because we get to, you know, you're, you're there trying to convince folks that these actors are in these locations that don't exist, you know, in on Earth or anywhere in, in, in this real world. Um, and being able to kind of do that magic is, is very exhilarating. But at the same time, for like the actors, being on a green screen um, stage is very, you know, it's very difficult. They kind of really have to push their imagination to be able to react to an environment that doesn't exist, um, yeah. which is where I love the technology that we've been pushing on things like the Mandalorian, which is using real-time rendered environments on LEDs right there on the stage. Um, so again, it's like what I was saying, it's more an evolution of visual effects where we're now being able to provide those environments right there on the spot for, you know, the actors and the directors and the DOPs, you know, they're able to tangibly see what is needed to be seen through the camera as opposed to waiting three months later to actually see what the final results are. Um, So it's been super exciting um, to be part of this process because it's definitely a game changer, I think, in the filmmaking world. We're we're so used to saying, we'll fix an impulse, right? And to me, I feel like that kind of 
loses the, the momentum, especially when you're shooting things on set, but also it, it makes it more likely that, you know, changes are going to happen. Will those changes fit with the overall consistency and story um, that's going on? Versus when you're on set shooting, you're usually going by the book, kind of like storyboard, by the script. Like, these are the things that we need to get to um, get that scene. That's, you know, whether it be a dramatic scene or an action scene or a funny scene. Like, you're able to see exactly what it will be um, finalized. And so it, you know, it requires a lot more pre-planning and pre um storyboarding, you know, to get every part correct, but at the same time, you're able to see it versus before it's a lot of just like back and forth. Um, and it just, I feel like stops the flow of the actual, um, filmmaking process. So yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see where directors want to take this because we're, we're only starting, um, with what we can do and the, possibilities are quiet, um, endless, which is, which is really cool. Yeah. I, I remember the first time we heard about the volume and I just, I could not wrap my head around what it was, how it worked. Um, especially because this was before there really had been any details available to like people like us about what it actually looked like or, or how they filmed with it. And, I remember watching the Disney gallery uh, episode all about the volume and my mind was just absolutely blown. It was like everything finally clicked into place about why it was so innovative and why it works so well. And I just, I can't imagine getting to be on that set every day and uh, like just experiencing it in real time and also being a part of developing how it works um, in pre-production and with the actors on set. It's just I think it's absolutely incredible. And like I said, it was just, it was so, I could not figure out how it worked when we just heard about it. Like, oh, it's game engine or it's, you know, it's, it's LEDs. I was like, what does that mean? And then <laughs> you see it in action and you're like, oh, there we go. Yeah. I mean, the thing is like, even though it's new, it's not quite new. Like the, the whole idea behind it stems back to like if you think back to 1950s movies of just like people driving in cars and then they just have a projector on the side showing them driving down the car i mean driving down a road um so it's using the exact same idea except we're not using projectors anymore because we're using leds leds give us you know that luminous and brightness that we need um but it's also we're not just playing back content right we're not just hitting play and then showing footage that we've like pre-rendered and pre-made we're bringing up this um, completely photorealistic 3D environment that can be adjusted at any moment. So, you know, at one point, I think there was a scenario where the sun was, like, somewhere on the left side of the camera, and the DP was just all like, oh, no, I feel like to be consistent with the storyline, the sun should be more towards the center of the screen. And so it's, like, literally for click of a button and we move the sun over, right? And suddenly the lighting changes around and we're able to, you know, get a more silhouette cast, right, on our actors to get that more dramatic kind of framing. Um, and, you know, it's, a, it's basically a toolkit, but also your background all at the same time, um, which is what makes it super powerful. And, you know, I feel like a lot of DPs and a lot of directors love the ability to, 
have that um, flexibility um, and the chance to just be like, all right, I don't quite like that building over there. Let's scoot it a little over to the right or let's totally just warm down the scene more or, you know, just like little, little things like that, which generally you would end up doing in post, but right now you can do it immediately live there for the director and they can, you know, decide that's exactly how they want it and shoot it and be done with the shot. And so I think it's both a very efficient way of shooting, but also giving directors and DPs more control of what they want exactly in the shot. That is, I love that uh, conceptualization of moving the sun because, hello, you can't do that in in real life. You can't at, at all. So you're right that it is totally a different amount of control. And I'm sure that's something that's so appealing to filmmakers for exploring this technology. And I kind of wanted to ask you, is, is that um, what you would call the brain bar? And like, is that the, the, the team that's responsible for the days on the set? Yeah, so the brain bar consisted of about, I want to say like four to six different folks who we generally had a, a mixture of skill sets. You know, some had experience dealing with camera layout, match moving. Some had experience dealing with lighting and 3D scenes in general. Like personally for me, I come from a more 2D compositing background um, and dealing with color. And so we all kind of, I guess, molded what we felt was what was needed of the operators on, on set. And so for me, a lot of times it was just me standing next to the DP and them telling me to cool down a scene or warm a scene or put up lights that are digital lights essentially to, I don't know, give an extra rim or an extra kick to the actors. Um, so it's, it's really nice to actually have all these people who are so used to the post-production process mm-hmm. suddenly now wrapped into the production process and actually helping and, um, you know, aiding the final look of the shot. Um, But the operators are super essential to making sure that, like, everything is run as accurately and as aesthetically needed. And, um, you know, we're just here to help with that creative process. Um, We know the renderer and the tools well enough to you know, be realistic about like, yes, we can move the sun, but we can't, you know, we can't just suddenly make a daytime scene, a nighttime scene, you know, like <laughs> there are still limitations to it, you know, but at the same time, we can push it a lot more than it just being pre-rendered material. Um, and, you know, I, I like giving that sun um, example, but at the same time, it's like, you also need to ground yourself to reality, right? Like the only right. way things look mm-hmm good is when it looks realistic so you can't just suddenly have like five suns though maybe there's some planet in the star wars universe that does have five suns but you know we're, we're still trying to you know make sure everything is um still rooted in photorealism um and so you know you still need that background experience of just doing visual effects to understand what those um, possibilities are. And yeah, I feel like the people that we have on the brain bar are some of the best talented people that I've ever worked with. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's such an amazing opportunity to work at ILM because of that. Like we have people 
who've been working on the original Star Wars and like E.T. still at the company, right? Like, I don't know anywhere else where I can like absorb that kind of knowledge um, from people who were making the films that basically I grew up on. And, you know, them also being just like, whoa, this new technology, like they're just as excited and like, you know, I've talked to so many other colleagues who are just like, oh, yeah, this is like when we went from analog to digital. You know, it's like they feel <laughs> that like that momentum of like this is definitely going to be something that's going to change how we perceive and how we shoot and how we um, approach visual effects just because, yeah, it's just it's a very both new with old tech with, you know, just like so many endless possibilities that. Yeah, I'm, I'm just so stoked to be able to do this type of work and work with some of the best people, both artistically, um, technology-wise. Our R&D team is amazing. Yeah, it's super just collaborative. It, it wouldn't be possible if it wasn't collaborative. And the thing is, like, even the onset crew are just as curious and excited about it, and you can feel that energy. And when you have that type of energy, it's, it's kind of like when you get the best work, right? Yeah. I got to ask, what is it like stepping onto the volume first thing in the morning? You know, like, is there an on-off switch for it? Who gets to turn it on first thing in the morning? (laughs) That's a a good question. Um, (laughs) Weirdly enough, it kind of is like there's there's an on switch. Um, I mean, okay, there's there's technically two on switches, I guess. Someone needs to, like, actually turn on the power for the LEDs. But then... (laughs) When it comes to putting the actual content up on the walls, usually one of our operators would be like, we're going to the walls. And then suddenly you'll just see, you know, the cantina up, which is always super fun. And, you know, that's also one of the biggest pros of using these real-time rendered scenes is that, you know, at one point you can be in the cantina and like 15 minutes later, suddenly you're like somewhere in Tatooine, right? Like you can be anywhere in the world you want. So you could also be just like, suddenly in Iceland, and then now you're in the desert. You're able to bring up different environments all over the world or out of this world at any time of day, right? Because a lot of times with films, you're like, I need to get that money shot with, you know, these two actors in front of a sunset or something like that. And it's like, your sunset lasts for maybe 15, 20 minutes. Can you get that shot? But now we don't have to worry about that. We can just keep the sunset up for like 24 hours if we wanted to. Um, and so being, fun. being able to have that control really, you know, really changes how you think about what you can and can't shoot um, on these stages. So again, just there's so many endless possibilities with it, which is really fun. I would want that to be my job of just turning it on and off in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's solely your job, Kayla. <laughs> just, please just hire me to come and flip the switch and make sure everything's good with the on and off (laughs) switch and that's it (laughs) yeah i mean the the thing is like when it works well it's it's pretty incredible like you're on that stage and there really is no like it doesn't feel like there's an end right like it just feels like you're just in this vast city let's say you know where the ground hits the walls like it just continues and so it can be a little confusing at first when it works that well. Yeah. But that's kind of the point. We want to be able to sell it that it's a complete extension of your set, even though you can't physically walk into the wall. But yeah, I think, you know, actors are definitely finding it very, very handy, you know, because they can actually see these incredible 
um, environments that usually don't exist in real life. And they're just, they're able to really take it in and know how to act within this world. I feel like that would be a major difference and especially like as an artist, as an actor to like experience the world and, and everything. Yeah. I mean, I, it can be a little disorienting, especially like we, you know, we, we've definitely done cockpit scenes and numerous um, spaceships. And sometimes if you hit that hyperspace button, it can be very disorienting because you're like, whoa, this is literally wrapped around me and I'm flying through space. Wow. Um, and yeah, even just like space in general, if all you're in this black void with just stars everywhere and, you know, suddenly the world moves a little, it's like, whoa, did I move or was that just a screen, you know? That's so, so cool. I've been so cool. on the Millennium Falcon ride in Disneyland. I know how it works. That's true. That's true. That's true. It's very, it's very similar to, to what we've been um you know, trying to replicate in a lot of the Disney, <laughs> Disneyland theme park rides. Um, but they're fun, right? Like it's, yeah. <laughs> we, we just have to make sure it's safe on set because we don't want anyone tripping or anything like that. Totally. What are the new pieces? Like, has there been any development in the technology from season one of The Mandalorian to season two? We have, again, a really amazing R&D team that's like dedicating and making sure we're creating these basically cinematic tool sets, right? We want to be able to be as easily incorporated with the onset crew as possible. And a lot of that comes down to just like the tools they use, the language they use, and making sure that we're able to essentially create a digital version of what they're used to. So we're constantly pushing for a lot of new features and a lot of new functions, but at the same time, they're also just things that you would expect to be able to do while you're out on set. I think because no one's really thought about creating this like specific tool set, let's say stagecraft um, in general is just like a package of cinematic tools. Um, I think we're, we're, you know, every season, every new project, we're, we're trying to see what else can we do? What else can we push the limits to do? Um, what is needed via our director requests or DP requests? Um, and so, yeah, I mean, like I said before, we're always grounded to photorealistic work. And that's what we're trying to do is give you that full photorealistic cinema experience with the use of our real-time renderer and LED screens. Yeah, you've talked about this a little bit throughout our conversation so far, but I was wondering if you could expand. You have mentioned, you know, you're used to being post-production and now suddenly you're on set during real-time production and filming and stuff like that, which I imagine is a very big shift, um, even like in the mindset of, all right, like getting ready to be with all of these people day to day, the actors, and like you said, like listening to, can we change where the sun is? How has that impacted like your own creativity um, being like on set versus doing the bulk of your work before the volume in like the post-production setting? Yeah, I mean, I think this, again, ties back to being wrapped into the pre-planning, the pre-storyboarding, everything from the start. Because, you know, we're needing to essentially create all these worlds before we even start shooting. And so we need to be on the same page with, you know, the director, the art department. Um, and, you know, I think the great thing about this 
new virtual production world is that we're included in this loop for once. So we're very much working hand in hand with our department to create these worlds and environments. And I feel like that's something that usually didn't happen in the post-production world, right? Like in the post-production world, we're so used to everything is already done, right? Everything has been shot. We're just turned over this footage and we just have to make it work. And sometimes what they shot in front of a green screen, you know, may not have been lit or may have not been set up in a way that works with what they envisioned um, in, in the world that the client wanted to create. But now that since we're looped in from the start, we're able to work in parallel with the art department to make sure that these environments that we're creating is, you know, to the exact detail that they want. Um, and, you know, we're brought from them doing like conceptual artwork to the point where they pass it over to us to make it into like a full 3D scene. And so personally for me, I feel a lot more integrated into that process. But also when we actually put it up on the walls and we see it on the set, you know, you're, you're standing there with the DPN, the director, and they're, they're telling you live on the spot again, just like, oh yeah, that works really well, but let's turn this around, let's make this like that, or X, Y, and Z, you know, there's always a lot of requests. But, you know, you're there again, um, helping do those live changes that will eventually be the final shot. And we don't have to worry about like, oh, what are we going to do later? Because we have it right now with us. And so it's a lot more collaborative and streamlined for actual shooting as opposed to thinking about, right, we need to set it up in a way so that later when we deal with it, it'll work seamlessly because that's never the case. It never works seamlessly in post-production. You end up having to modify a lot of things, which sometimes you know, work, but sometimes doesn't work. Um, so yeah, I think the main thing is the fact that we can actually be a part of the full production process from beginning to the end of that shot actually being filmed. I feel like that's, that's so interesting. I feel like you, the production, it feels like has kind of been flipped on its head in a way more collaborative sense. I, I don't know. I just feel like it would be beneficial for everyone to be more clued into like the way things are planned and the way things are going and everything. I can totally see how that is a huge benefit. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every DP that I've worked with has said 100% they prefer this process because once filming is done, the DPs, like everything else is out of their grasps. They're done with their project. They've moved on. But post-production still happens, right? So suddenly... You know, visual effects may make some decisions that, you know, work for the shot, but may not have been exactly what, you know, the DP was hoping, you know, a certain scene was going to be lit. And so you lose that, again, communication and collaboration. And it's, it's kind of like you're playing a game of telephone and you're never exactly going to get the exact same word that the first person said. It's the same idea when you work in Pulse, right? Like there's just so many layers of oh, this is what I wanted, but then this is what I heard this other person wanted. And then I feel like that's the hardest part in post-production is being able to fulfill everyone's need, even though it's after everything's been shot versus with um, doing virtual production. Everyone is in that room together who's making the decision. And, you know, what one person does is going to affect everyone else. And everyone can see that change immediately. 
and they can say whether or not they like it or if they don't, you know, and again, this is, you know, the biggest game changer is that we're suddenly post-production people are in production and it makes such a huge difference in making sure that the quality of that work is at the level that everyone wants it to be. You know, there's a lot, I mean, just in general, there's a lot with what we did in Mandalorian season one that was taken to do season two, right? I feel like we're always trying to take what we've done in the past and refine it and make it even better for our future projects. Um, And even though I didn't work on Mandalorian season two, I hands out watched the series immediately (laughs) as it came out. Um, But, you know, it's, it's, as a visual effects artist, you're constantly looking at visual media and you're just like, I think I know how they did that. They totally did it that way. They totally did it using a green screen. Or, oh yeah, I can see that, you know, they did these particle effects over here. It was the exact same effect when I was watching season two. I was all like, all right, time to play the game. Where's the LED screen? Which shots or scenes did they use it in? And there were times where I was just all like, oh, I honestly can't tell. I'm not sure. And you know, like, I, I worked on season one, so I thought I knew majority of the time, like, what are the best scenarios to use the LEDs. But no, I was completely thrown away, and I was just like, wow, the work has, like, really raised the bar on expectation. And it was just one season, you know, like, suddenly, we're, you know, I'm, I'm completely impressed with all my colleagues who did season two. They, they completely smashed it. Um, and they even took it to a whole new level on what you can do with those screens. Um, and that's what I love is like, we have all these people who are super excited and, you know, curious about how we can push things and, you know, something like the Ahsoka forest scene, it was just like, it just blew my mind how well that looked and just like the atmosphere of it all and the drama and the feeling of it. Like, you know, that's what you want. That's what you want your tools to be able to do. So yeah, it's, you know, I'm, I'm slightly jealous that I didn't get to work on season two, but at the same time, I'm really <laughs> proud of my colleagues with the work they did because it, it looked amazing. Yeah, I think if they can stump you, someone who worked, you know, on season one about what is uh, real, what is not real here, then it is incredible. <laughs> You're the ultimate test, I think. <laughs> I, I'm not sure about that, but like definitely, you know, we, I mean, I, I think that's a fun thing about working at ILM is that we're always just like, oh, what are you working on? What are you doing? Oh, that's really cool. Can I borrow that? Can I use it on my project as well? You know, and everyone's always super open about just like, yeah, this is this is how we do it. But with your project, you can like totally push it to the next limit. Um, and it's, you know, that's, that's what I love about the workplace. It's just like everyone is just super passionate and excited about whatever next project we have going on, you know, whether that be Star Wars content or any other project, it's just, you can, you can feel it. Um, and that's, you know, that's also why I've, I've been at the company for so long as well. It's, it's just, I don't want to be in an environment where I'm not constantly learning and growing. And, you know, ILM has been so good about giving me opportunities to do that. So yeah, it's, it's definitely a fun, fun place to be. Yeah. So what are you most excited about for the future of VFX? Oh, that's a tough question. I mean, I feel like, you know, we're always going to push, you know, the mediums, the technology, the software, the 
art aesthetics, the creatives that we work with. Um, and I, I honestly can't say I know what will be coming up next. Um, mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, like for me personally, anything that is a new way of visual storytelling, I'm, I'm all behind it. Um, mm-hmm. And the great thing about Lucasfilm is, you know, we have so much content, whether that be the Star Wars universe, the Indiana Jones universe, Willow, you know, like I had no idea Willow was going to come back. Um, yes. <laughs> it's just like, it's, it's endless worlds that we can, you know, dabble in doing new and experimental ways of, um, filmmaking and visual storytelling um, and I love that it expands beyond you know the movie theater you know suddenly because we're all on lockdown streaming content at home has become such a huge part of our you know our our ways of relaxing our ways of escaping <laughs> the realities of of current situations um, and the same thing goes for you know video games and VR um, I feel like all of it is is so cool to see that we can continue, you know, like a Star Wars universe storyline across all these different mediums. Um, so to me, I'm I'm just a lover of um, good storytelling. So put me wherever the good storytelling is, and I, I'll be a very excitable person. Yeah, I think you had mentioned that you don't even know what could be coming down the line, and I think that's what's so exciting about getting even getting to like work as closely in this field as you do of who knows what could come next to you know revolutionize this again I think that that's so cool and I'm sure just makes you really excited every day at work about what possibility is out there as far as the technology yeah and and you know like I feel like there's a slight fear amongst people in my industry where it's all like oh the technology is going to take away our jobs. And I never feel like that's the case. I feel like technology is there to help assist us. And we should be pushing that bar on what we think can be done creatively. Because machines can never be that creative factor that we are as humans. I mean, it's really theoretical, right? Like, where it's like, yes, humans versus robots. Like, what can be done best? Um, but, you know, I, I think I'm at the end of the day, you know, that, you know, those stories, those creative outlets are just, um, you know, they're so needed for us, but at the same time, there's, there's just limitless possibilities with it. So let's, let's see where our next stories come from. Yes. Yes. I love that optimism. I want to know, Charmaine, what are your favorite visual effects shots of all time? Oh, that's always a really tough question. It's funny because I think I was talking with another friend recently and she told me because she was like on one of those dating apps that someone asked her like, oh, instead of what's your favorite movie, what's your favorite visual effects shot? And she had no idea how to answer it, even though she works in the visual (laughs) effects industry. And it's just one of those things where you're just like, you see it every single day, but you don't think about like, you, you don't just sit down and think about like, what is that shot that really inspired me? Um, and, and it's a hard question, but I absolutely love it. Like, for me, I think as a kid, Jurassic Park was hands down yes. just, like, the film that made me go, like, what? That's visual effects? I thought dinosaurs were real, you know? like. But, you know, definitely that one scene when you see when 
all the dinosaurs come up and they're in the Jeep and they're just like, whoa. Um, I think my mind was also blown. was like, whoa, look at those dinosaurs. But also Back to the Future. Like, that was such a fun, you're time traveling, but you're time traveling in this really ridiculous vehicle that also like goes through time-space continuum. So yeah, not, not exact shots, but like those are definitely the films that influenced me the most and, you know, got me very curious and interested about visual effects. Both those films are definitely movies that got me very interested in movies, too. And I love that you mentioned Jurassic Park because I feel like that is one of the uh, biggest magic tricks of all visual effects lately um, in, in history, I guess. It's so good. It's just so good. <laughs> completely. Like, it's one of those films where I will probably rewatch it at least, like, once a year. And, you know, it's still, I feel like it's timeless. It just holds up so well. But also, what I love is that when I was working in the San Francisco ILM office, they had the T-Rex model in the hallway. And, like, it was funny because it was right next to the bathroom. So, like, anytime you went to the bathroom, you saw, like, (laughs) some T-Rex. But, you know, it's it's not a giant T-Rex that you expect the size of a T-Rex to be. It's, like, you know, kind of the size of a large dog. Um, but, But it's cool because like you just see that dinosaur sitting in the hallway and if you look really closely like the details in that dinosaur was unbelievable that model was just so like every fold of the skin uh, it was so great and I remember like at one point we did like someone did take it out of the case and lidar scanned it so that we could use it for the more recent Jurassic World um, franchise but it's just one of those things where it's all like this was original and it definitely still holds up and we keep on referring back to, you know, these dinosaurs because they were just so well done at that time. Totally. What about your favorite visual effect shot in the Star Wars galaxy? Oh, wow. That's even, (laughs) that's even harder. A lot of these kind of mix in this world where it's a really good visual effect shot, but it's also just like the cinematography of that shot is just so well done as well. And, you know, like Luke standing there on his home planet with the two sun setting like Mm -hmm. that is hands down one of my favorite shots and you know i i really appreciated that the the nod to that shot at the end of episode nine as well with ray and you know they're very simple shots they're not very like complex cg heavy visual effect shots but i'm always a you know strong believer in simpler is better right like keep it simple get your like um, message across um, and the visuals should do the story. And I think that's a great thing about a lot of Star Wars shots is that, you know, you can take any screen cap from most of any of the episodes and, or any of the, you know, Mandalorian shots. And it's just like those single frames can tell so much of a story. Yeah. I think you're absolutely speaking our language because Charlotte's keeping it cool, but Jurassic Park is like one of her all-time favorite franchises. And so you would be like, yeah, the, the T-Rex is right there and we took him out. I can tell that she was probably freaking out a little bit because she loves Jurassic Park, like loves it, loves it. Uh, and then that shot with Luke is like my favorite Star Wars shot of all time. It's why I became a fan, I think, uh, if I really had to drill down. So yeah, there's just, there's something so universal about visual storytelling and it's it's so special and incredible. And, and like Charlotte mentioned earlier, just the miracle that a film gets made is is honestly incredible. And how how do you guys actually do it? 
Yeah, I mean, there's again, like you guys said earlier, there's so many, you know, there's so many people in the production, and being able to get all of that coordinated and working together and mesh so well that like you're able to get those type of iconic scenes that you know are burned in the memories of people all across the world right like the ability to do that is very mind-blowing to me and being able to help create that for any future project is just like you know it's it's crazy that's that that's a possible scenario um in the future of just like yeah i worked on that shot and somehow that shot has become an iconic um memory for someone yeah yeah the power you hold (laughs) 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 well we have reached the end of our interview time so we have one more question for you charmaine but thank you again so much for taking time uh to talk with us a little bit about your work at lucas feldman ilm it is honestly so fascinating and uh we can't thank you enough but our last question that we ask all of our guests on sky talkers we call it our sky talkers star wars dinner question and what the question is what five star wars characters or creators would you want to bring to a dinner party hosted by you and the object is good conversation it can be anyone any time period any character any creature the sky's the limit, but we love hearing people's different um, dinner parties. It's it's a very illuminating question we find. <laughs> yes. I mean, I love this question in general when you're like, what are the five people you bring to the dinner party? But specifically yeah. Star Wars, that's, that's a good one. Are we also assuming that everyone knows everyone's languages as well? Yes. 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 Okay. Okay. I mean, hands down, I have to have Chewbacca just because... It's Chewbacca. Um, not just characters, creators as well, right? Like, Yeah, it can be any combination. Charlotte and I usually just bring creators, but a lot of our guests pretty exclusively bring characters, and every <laughs> once in a while we have a good mix too. <laughs> I'm going to do, like I said, Chewy, because Chewy is just a delight to have. And also I feel like he'll be a great dinner guest because he'll eat anything that you cook. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I would love to have um, Bryce Dallas Howard as well. I thought seeing how she worked on season one for Mandalorian was incredible and how engaged she is with the actors and um, how much that performance really matters. I feel like she would be an incredible guest to have. You know, Mark Hamill as Mark Hamill would be just amazing. <laughs> It, it's up to him if he wants to be in Mark Hamill form or Luke form at this dinner. <laughs> I feel like they're, they're two very different people, so I'll, I'll, I'll let him decide on that. And then I would love Grogu there. Again, I feel like Grogu would eat anything that I made. Are you sensing a theme? I'm, I'm actually more worried about whether or not these guests will enjoy <laughs> this dinner that I made than I am of the conversations. I feel like he has some stories that he wants to tell that he hasn't been able to tell yet. And because of that, I would like Ahsoka there because she clearly can talk to him. So yeah, those are my five. This is such a great dinner. <laughs> Mark Hamill, um, Styles Howard, uh, Chewbacca, Grogu, and Ahsoka. There we go. Such a good dinner. I yeah, love it. Yeah, your dinner has a very like wholesome, like cute vibe to it. You know, <laughs> I just the combination, honestly, of Chewy, Bryce, and Grogu is genius. I just, I think there would just be so many hugs in that like dinner party. 
It would I, mean, be so I, I, I would expect nothing but hug, like lots of hugging, yeah. lots of eating, lots of just like laughter and yeah, wholesomeness, you know. And then when I bring out the dessert, like it would have been, everyone would have just been like so happy and yeah. you know grateful and. Yeah, I just want it to be a very happy party. I feel like it would be. It definitely would be. I will say you're going to have to make a lot of food with Chewy there. He will eat anything, but I feel like you got to make a lot. I mean, I love cooking. So if Chewy wants more food, I will make him more food. <laughs> Chewy gets whatever he wants. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. It's such a Except good dinner. That's my, that's my limit. That's true, the line. That's true. the line yeah. of the hand. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you again so much, Charmaine. This was so great. And um, I'm really excited to go to your dinner one day. Um, that's the yeah, other caveat. We, that, we can. Uh, Charlotte and Caitlin have to come to your dinner as well. <laughs> for oh. anyone who's on the show. That is no problem. We will have a giant table and feast ready to just have a good time at. Love it. Thank you again so much. Uh, can people find you online anywhere that we can direct them to? To learn more about yeah, your work. You can definitely find me on Twitter under Charmaine SM Chan and on the big and small screen for any future projects that are soon coming out. That's so exciting. Thank you again, Charmaine. Uh, you're welcome back on Sky Talkers anytime. It was Thank such a joy so to much. talk with you. Yeah, it's great talking to you both. <laughs> All right. That was our interview with Charmaine. I hope you guys enjoyed it. We loved getting to talk to her. I hope you guys learned something new and got some fun, interesting tidbits about The Mandalorian and the volume. Easily one of my favorite things to talk about when it comes to The Mandalorian. <laughs> Me too. Oh my God. I can't get enough. It's it's really a lifelong dream to stand on it. And mm -hmm. I want to ask every single person who's ever been there just what it's like. There. <laughs> right? I want to yeah. turn it on in the morning. <laughs> I know, the fact that you asked her that. <laughs> I think it's important. It is. It is. It's actually probably the most important job. <laughs> if it doesn't turn on, then then what? Well, then what? Yeah. <laughs> and they've got to build a set in like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> the thing I was thinking about when I was asking that question is, do you remember in elementary school when our county got like all the smart boards for the mm -hmm. first time? And every morning you'd have to, it was always exciting who would get picked to recalibrate the smart pen for the smart board. Mm -hmm. I was like, does someone have to recalibrate the volume yeah. in the morning? Yeah. Probably. Probably, I mean, honestly. Probably, oh. like, frequently, not just in, in the morning. Yeah, and probably not with a smart pen, but no. you know, <laughs> something more high-tech than that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> anyway, thank you guys, as always, for listening. If you want to find us online, you can find us on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Crarity, and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com, or you can find us on Facebook or on Instagram. And if you haven't left us a review yet on iTunes, we would so appreciate if you took a second to go and leave us a review as it helps other people find our show and join in on the conversation. And if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers there and how to get involved in the Skytalkers Patreon community. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Simon, Rachel, Britt, Alex, Emily, Anders, Aaron, Levi, Patricia, Sophie, Logan, Colin, Molly, Catherine, Ashley, Rad, Lindsay, Lola, and Froppy. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And as always, until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.